1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jeruham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass that she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long will you be drunken? Put away thine wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, Oh no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore, it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Now let's pray. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this word that you'll give us today, and I ask that all of our hearts be open to receive the fact that when we are in distress, Lord, that you are the God that will hear our cry and answer and remember us. And I thank you that you'll do that for us today in Jesus' name. Now, first of all, before we get into dealing with this text, uh, the context of 1 Samuel is the context of the book of Judges. If you have the Hebrew Bible, they would have 1 Samuel directly after Judges. In our Bible, we have Ruth placed in between there. But what you need to understand, when you look at those last chapters of the book of Judges, the nation of Israel was in total disarray and there was widespread apostasy from the Lord 
And one good sign that they were in disarray is they were fighting amongst themselves. Almost wiped out a whole tribe. And it's a time then that is not unlike the time we're living here in America right now, where it says in the book of Judges repeatedly, in the very last words of that book were that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The nation that had the word of God to direct them did that which was right in their own eyes, not what was right in God's eyes. So it's a dark time at this period, what we're reading about coming into in 1 Samuel, a dark time for Israel spiritually. No law, no prophets, no godly priest, and they had no judge. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And not only that, they had no word from the Lord. Because it says in the beginning of Samuel, a few chapters up, the word of the Lord was precious in those days, rare. There was no open vision. And so there was a famine for the word in Israel at this time. The nation had turned its back on God, and God had turned his back on them. So we know that Ichabod was spoken over the nation. And in a few chapters, we're not going to read, but later in Samuel, the ark is taken away. God's presence is gone from the nation. And things look bleak, don't they? For Israel at this point, the situation actually looks impossible. How will things ever get turned around? Yet in that dark picture, if you could just picture just a black canvas, that's Israel right there, a light, a little light is given. A little light appears, a small light. And that's what we're reading here in 1 Samuel 1. A little baby is born named Samuel. And he is a spark in this darkness that God fans into a flame. Because it says this about him in chapter 3, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. So listen, Samuel was God's answer to Israel's great need for a prophet. And he was a great prophet. He established what was known as the school of the prophets. We didn't have that. That's when that was established during the time of Samuel. And he set up the kingship to rule Israel. He was an instrument to that. And he was also the last of the judges. He's a very pivotal person in Israel's history. God's answer to Israel's great need. That's what he was. But he is also God's answer to the prayer of a childless woman. He's meeting Israel's great need. He's very pivotal in the history of Israel and in the world, if you want to put it that way, for all eternity. But on a smaller scale and more home for us, he's the answer to a prayer of a childless woman. Because everything God did through that mighty prophet Samuel, it began. It had a beginning point with a lowly, bearing, distressed woman. Lowly, barren, distressed woman that nobody would notice. And that's the way God works. He takes hopeless situations and people that seem insignificant and changes the course of the world. That's the way God works. Or we can look at it another way, which we will today. The God who is in control of all world events, the sovereign God of this universe, looks down 
That God looks down on insignificant people like us. He looks down on people like us. We get into impossible situations, and he'll answer the prayers of our distress. The one in charge of the universe will look down on you and answer your cry when you call to him. And that should be a source of great encouragement to us, shouldn't it? It really should be a source of great encouragement and comfort for all of us. And so we have in verses 1 to 5 here in 1 Samuel 1, through this story, what we see first is the impossible situation. Now, Elkanah was from the Levite lineage, and he had two wives, we read, Hannah and Peninnah. Multiple wives were tolerated in the Old Testament, but they were always trouble. Always trouble. Polygamy is not a good thing, and it was here. So we read that Hannah was barren. We read that. She had no children, but it says Panina had children, and many of them. We know she had at least four because we know from verse 4 it says she had sons and daughters, plural. So she probably had more than four. She's got a passel of them that she's carrying around, and old Hannah has none. And so more than likely, Elkanah married Hannah first. And judging by the character of Peninnah, you wouldn't have married her first. But he married Hannah first. When she couldn't bear children, then he married Peninnah to have children. And Peninnah produced. But all that did was produce problems is what happened there. Because, listen, what we have to understand is barrenness in ancient times. For a woman to be barren, that was the ultimate tragedy for a woman in that day. Because her husband wanted a son to carry on his name and to carry on the inheritance, take care of the estate. And when you couldn't provide that, that was a shameful thing. And that part of the world at that time, it would have been a small comfort to Hannah at the time, I think. But barrenness in the Bible is often God's fertile ground to bring hope to his people. <laughs> little play on words there. God's fertile ground is barrenness. Because if you think about it, there's a lot of barren women in the Bible. Sarah was barren. And guess what? She became the mother of Abraham's seed when she's 90 years old. Wow. That's a miracle. Rebecca was barren. Rachel was barren. So all the patriarchs came out of barren women. Samson's mother, who the way his introduction is worded back in Judges 13, is very similar to the way the introduction is given here of Samuel. But Samson came out of a barren wife, a barren mother. Don't even know her name. Just Manoah's wife. That's how she's known. They don't even give her a name. But God brought great deliverance to his people through her. And he was a Nazarite, just like Samuel was, just like John the Baptist. And speaking of John the Baptist, he was another one. Elizabeth came out of a barren woman, the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. Barrenness. So let me ask you, was it a medical condition that caused them to be barren? You know, if somebody's barren today, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to head to the doctor to find out what's going on and what can we do about this. But no, we read twice, it says in the text we read in verse 6, because the Lord had shut up her womb. That's why she was barren. That's why Hannah was barren. And many times... It says that the Lord is the one that had shut up the womb of these barren women. And yet none of them thought it was a blessing. Oh, God shut up my womb. What a blessing. God's working in my life. <laughs> no, they didn't look at it like that. It wasn't a blessing. But think about that. 
God himself has created an impossible situation, barrenness, for one of his children. God has done that. The Lord shut up her womb. The sovereign God of the universe has shut up Hannah's womb. Why would he do that? Because he promised in Deuteronomy 7.14, Thou shalt be blessed. This was a promise to his faithful people. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Well, that was his promise. So why does he tell us in 1 Samuel that it's the Lord that caused Hannah's womb to be closed? Is he toying with her like a cat with a mouse? You know, doesn't he know that making her go all these years without a child's going to ruin her self-esteem? That's what we would hear today. It's just ruining her self-esteem. She appears to be a godly woman from everything we read in the text. So we know this barrenness isn't a result of sin, as far as we can tell. But he's using her hopeless situation in her case to do what? To drive her to him as her only source. To see her utter dependence on him. And this barren situation, to use another play on words, gives birth to one of the greatest prayers, I consider one of the greatest prayers you'll read in the Bible, chapter 2 of this book. One of the greatest prayers, Hannah's prayer. We sing part of it in a song. There is none holy like the Lord. He looks down and he weighs the actions of people and he will raise them out of the dust and he'll bring down the haughty into the dust. That's what God does. But this situation gives rise to that great prayer in chapter 2. Because who could unstop a barren womb? Only God. Only God can grant life. And that's the way God works. Puts us in impossible situations so we have total dependence on him. That's the way it should be. Because why did God allow Paul to be stoned in Acts 14 and left for dead? Did Psalm 91 not work for Paul? Could he not trust in that promise? Stoned and left for dead. And here's why. Paul gives us a little insight. Stoned and left for dead, that's a pretty impossible situation. Paul wrote this, For we would not, brethren, 2 Corinthians 1, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He's saying, I had a sentence of death in myself. Sure, I was going to die. That's the way it felt in the natural. And why was that? So God could raise me up and I'd learn, I don't trust in even what I see, that I'm going to die. Because he said he'll yet deliver me from death, is what Paul said. To trust him totally. He had to learn something through that experience didn't he? So God allowed that impossible situation to teach Paul something. He allowed that to happen to Hannah here to teach her something and to teach us something. That's why it's all in here. So what's your impossible situation that God has brought you into? You know, I don't mean to embarrass Brett, but Brett got in an airplane crash. It was nothing of his fault. It brought him into a situation where he's trusting God that will take a miracle to restore his arm. God could have prevented that from happening. 
But why do those things happen? Those impossible situations that you're brought into. So he can discourage us? Leave us hopeless? No. To show us that we put our total trust in him and he will deliver us. And he will manifest what it is we're trusting him for. There's a lot of impossible situations today in this church. Physical situations that without God's intervention, there is no hope. Many hopeless cases. And we know God's not the source. We've been through that. But he allows things to happen so in the deliverance, his glory is manifested. And it can be in mental ways, mental stress. And I'm sure that that's going on here. It's just not something you're going to go around talking about a lot. And it's not evident because it's mental. It's not as obvious as a physical thing. But there can be mental situations that people get in. I've been there in my past as a young man that it seems like there's no solution to this. And things are hopeless. A teenager, teenagers, that's the worst time of your life. Doesn't have to be, but it was for me. It was bad. <laughs> and you face crises that you think, how is this going to work out? How am I ever going to cope? Why am I so different than everyone else? And problems that seem impossible when you're a teenager that others would laugh at, but they're real to a teenager, aren't they? And to a young person. So the question becomes, who do we turn to for help? in those impossible situations because sometimes it seems like nobody else cares and nobody else knows. And that's what Hannah had to deal with. She had to discover that because her situation is hopeless, there was no one to turn to but God. Because she's got two people in her life that one would help her and one definitely wouldn't and she sees there's no hope from them. No help, no hope. Because it says Elkanah loved her. Look in verse five, it says, to Hannah, Alcana, he gave a worthy portion. Why? For he loved Hannah. So he was a godly man, Elkanah. Every year in this dark Israel, he's still going up and worshiping like he should have with his family, offerings to the Lord. He's a godly man. And he's married to a godly wife. She's his Proverbs 31 woman. He's got a good wife. And they loved each other. And when Panina brought Hannah to the point of tears, what did Elkanah do? He tried to comfort her. He said, why is it, Hannah? Why are you weeping? Why is it that you won't eat? Why are you so grieved? And he's like, come on, cheer up. He tells her, aren't I better than ten sons? And I guarantee you her weeping went up a little bit higher. <laughs> like, honey, I love you, but I think I like a few boys. Oh, yeah, I'm sure her sobs got a little louder. What I'm saying is, I think Elkanah, though, he loved her. He would have done anything in his power to help her out and to relieve her grief that she was going through. Anything to give her comfort. But there was nothing he could give her, obviously nothing he could say to her, that was going to bring her any relief. And let me ask you, have you ever been there? I mean, you've got a spouse, you've got a mate, and you know they care about you, and you're going through something. It works both ways. And they look at you and they're saying, I'm praying for you. And you realize there's nothing they can do or say to help me in this situation. Only God. As much as they care, as much as I appreciate their prayers, God has got to be the one to deliver me from this. And sometimes that can be a lonely experience, can it? Because, you know, sometimes walking this walk, we've got people to encourage us here in this body. We've got fellowship, people praying for us. But when it gets right down to it on those dark nights and you're in a trial... Isn't it sometimes a lonely walk, so to speak? We walk by faith and not by sight. And what you can see, there's not much comfort in it. 
And you just have to trust that despite how you feel, what your emotions, what the devil is screaming in your ear, that God is still with you, as we heard. And he'll come through. We've got to trust that. But she's not getting much help from Elkanah. And you would think Panina, the other one, being a woman, would have a little bit of understanding. Yeah, Elkanah's a man. He's thick-headed. He doesn't get it. But you would have thought that Panina would have and had a little understanding what this woman's going through. But here's the problem. It's the polygamy game that created competition between the two of them. He's got two wives, and the one Panina sees that he really likes Hannah. He really has her, his heart and his love set on her. And so she's jealous. And that jealousy prevented her from being the friend she could have been. Instead, she becomes an adversary, the Bible says, and a rival to Hannah, constantly needling her, taunting her. And especially, it says, at the festivals. Oh, that's when she's really digging into her. So she doesn't just do this, like, occasionally. Or it's not like a, an occasional slip-up, is it? It's on a daily, year-by-year -year basis. She's reminding her who's got the kids and who doesn't. Who's got the blessing and who doesn't have the blessing. And this one man wrote down what he thought this conversation would have been like. I thought it was pretty good. So here they are. They're going down to the festival and they're sitting around eating. Panina and her children and Hannah is within earshot. Mommy, Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. Oh, what did you say, dear? I said Miss Hannah doesn't have any children. Miss Hannah, oh, yes, that's right. She doesn't have any children. Doesn't she want children? Oh, yes, she wants children very, very much. Don't you, Hannah? Doesn't Daddy want Miss Hannah to have kids? Oh, certainly he does. But Miss Hannah keeps disappointing him. She just can't have kids. Why not? Why? Well, because God won't let her. Does God not like Miss Hannah? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, by the way, Hannah, did I tell you that I'm pregnant again? You think you'll ever be pregnant, Hannah? And that's got to be the way it was going. She's just purposely doing things to needle her and put her down and put her in her place. As verse 6 says, her adversary provoked her sore. Provoked her sore for to make her fret or worry, make Hannah fret or worry. And the New King James says her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Oh, yeah, he loves you. I'm going to make you as miserable as I can, is the way she was dealing with her. So who does Hannah have to turn to? Her husband's not much help. This other woman, uh, she'd love to get her moved out of the house. And there's no fertility drugs back then, no test tube babies. God has shut her womb, and only God can open it. So she's got a situation she's dealing with, and that's what happens a lot of times when we get in impossible situations. That situation has a voice, and it's telling you God doesn't love you, and he's cursed you. Hannah's got to be hearing that in her mind. She's got those thoughts, and that's hard enough to deal with it, that voice that comes as thoughts, the devil provoking you through the thoughts you have, this trial you're in, why you're in it, God doesn't love you, you've sinned and gone too far, and you hear those thoughts, those are enough to deal with. It would have been for her. But she's also got to deal with the voice, another voice of Panina and her children, provoking her, much like Job's friends did, didn't they? And his wife, what did his wife tell Job? Why don't you just curse God and die? That's a lot of encouragement there. 
And his friends are telling him through all their different ways, Job, look, you're obviously not right with God because if you were, this would never be happening to you. That's all they keep telling him. And he's like, look, I know it's not a matter I was living in sin. I'm telling you, fellas, here's all the things I did. I don't understand this. I don't know why God's doing this to me, but you're wrong. Oh, they're like, oh, no, Job, you're a sinner. You've got to be a sinner. You wouldn't be in this kind of trial. You wouldn't be in this kind of shape if things were right between you and the Lord. And that's the way it works. So with Hannah there, there is no living being that can give her relief and comfort. Have we ever been there? No one understands. And the ones that would, they can't enter into your struggles, like I said, your loved ones. They just can't enter in to where you're at. And your adversaries just like to pile it on, depending on the situation you're in. They just like there's a spirit in there that likes to torment you. So if that's the case for you today, guess what? You're in good company. Because listen, when the Lord Jesus hung on that cross, his ministry at that point looked as barren as Hannah's womb. Everybody had left him. Everybody had forsook him. Where's the fruit of that ministry at that point? And as he hung on that cross, his adversaries were mocking and taunting just like Panina did Hannah. Never let up. No comfort on the cross. It says this in Psalm 22, all they that see me, this is what was going on while the Lord was hanging on the cross. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And if you read that Psalm 22 towards the end, it says that he cried out to the Lord and he said, and God heard my cry. The Lord Jesus Christ cried out to the Lord on that cross. And people will mock your apparent failures when you trust the Lord. That'll happen to us. Walking out of trial, it seems like God's not with you. People will mock. But listen, they did the Lord. And we're not above our master, are we? That kind of stuff will happen. So where should that drive you to? So it drove Hannah in 1 Samuel into the presence of the Lord and into prayer. And so Hannah didn't just pray a formula prayer, did she? Father, I just ask you to give me a new baby. Amen. In Jesus' name. She didn't just pray a formula prayer like that, did she? That's not what we read. No, it said that she poured out her heart to the only one that could understand and help her. Look in verses 9 to 11 again. So they've all eaten, and Panina has provoked her and grieved her and brought her to tears. In verse 9 it says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. And now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. No packaged prayer there. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction, I've been afflicted of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, and I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Bitterness of soul, it says. She's very upset, greatly distressed as she praying. It says she wept sore. She's weeping in anguish is what's that saying. So she's going before the Lord's presence is what we read there. Emotionally upset and weeping bitter tears. She's probably sobbing. And all of this coming, this torment from within and without is finding a vent in her prayer. It's venting in her prayer. And Eli's watching her 
pray, and he doesn't have a whole lot of spiritual discernment. But he's sitting in the seat at the gate of the temple, and he's watching. It's his job to make sure everything's done right. And people back then, when you prayed back then, they almost always prayed audibly. And so it's a festival time. There's a lot of people drinking. It wouldn't be that uncommon. Somebody drunk comes in there. It happens in the Catholic Church every year on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I've been there. I've seen it happen. You get a drunk in there, and he's going to throw some life in the mass. And so he's keeping an eye on that, and he sees her lips moving, but he's not hearing any sound. And she's obviously upset. He's, he's thinking, well, she's got to be drunk. Not a whole lot of spiritual discernment. Accuses her of that. And Hannah, verse 15, what does she say? She answered and said, oh, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit, a troubled spirit. I'm not a drunkard, not what you're thinking. She's saying this. She's saying, look, I haven't been pouring out drinks for myself. That's not what's been going on. I've been pouring out my heart to the Lord. That's what I've been pouring out, not drinks. Verse 16, she says, don't count thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. A worthless woman is what that means. Because that's what's said of Hophni and Phinehas, the same word. They were worthless. And she says, don't count me that way. She says, it was only out of my complaint and grief, my deep pain and anguish that I prayed. That's all I was doing, was pouring out my heart before the Lord. So Hannah's barrenness, that situation, and Penina's cruel propagation drove Hannah to where it should drive us into the presence of God to pour out her complaint, her situation. So I would ask a young person in here, you're, you're getting grief at school for being a Christian, for taking certain stands, and you're being persecuted. Where do you go? Where do you go to get relief? Where does that drive you to? Or when trials, they seem to linger and increase in danger, where should that drive us to? A lingering impossible situation. Or when circumstances... Just circumstances, situations, people you're dealing with. That cannot overwhelm you at times. It can overwhelm you at times. It can be crushing to your spirit. What can I do? Who can I talk to? And that's when we need to be like Hannah and go and take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the Lord. And so is it a lack of faith to cry out when you're in anguish of spirit? Are we afraid to do that? Just take the Psalms out of your Bible if you don't think it's biblical, because they're filled with that. David's Psalms are filled with situations he's in where he's being tormented by Saul, on the run, persecuted, and he cries out to the Lord. Look, look at what they're doing to me, Lord. And it says he cries out in his distress. Turn over to Psalm 142. Psalm 142. David wrote this Psalm, and David wrote this Psalm when he's hiding in a cave. Saul's after him. He's hiding in a cave. He's a young man. He's been taken away from Saul's throne, that area. He's taken away from his parents. He's taken away from everything he loves and knows. And here's what he writes. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord that I make supplication. He says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. He told the Lord, this is what's going on. And look what it says in verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, more than he could handle, he says, Then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. No refuge failed me, he says. And look what he says. 
No man cared for my soul. That's the way it seemed to him. I don't know that it was really that way, but that's the way it seemed to him in that cave. And what did he do? Verse 5, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. That's his faith talking. I mean, am I looking at people that have never had their spirit overwhelmed within them? I have. I mean, I had some of the, one of the darkest days of my life. Where physically I was fine. But I was so crushed in my spirit, the darkest day of my life, I could barely walk, literally. And all I knew to do was to cry out to God to have mercy on me because it seemed there's no man cared for my soul. And you've never been there? I'm sure some of you have. And when that happens, we need to be like Hannah, like David, and go to the Lord and cry out to him for help. That's our hope. That's our answer. We don't need medication. We don't need psychiatrists. We just need to pour out our heart to the Lord. He'll help us. And many times in the Bible we have saints crying out to the Lord. Psalm 6, 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Have you ever gone to prayer weeping? The Lord has heard my supplication, and he ends by saying, the Lord will receive my prayer. He's saying he wept in his prayer and says God will receive it. God will hear and help him out. You know, I heard a man just give a testimony. A little boy came up to him. This hadn't happened that long ago and asked him to pray, a minister, when he got done speaking. And he said, normally little kids like that, they want you to pray for their dog or whatever. And that little boy said, I'd like you to pray for my mom and dad because they fight all the time. And they're talking about getting a divorce. And that boy was upset. So you think kids or in a house, Christian kids in a house, their parents fight all the time. That's not upsetting to them. That wouldn't overwhelm their spirit. And if you're a child in here and that's the case, go to the Lord. He'll hear your cry just like he heard Hannah's. And he'll look down on you and he will remember you. Or what about having a loved one that is oppressed by spirits? whether it's a child, a mate, it's whoever, just someone you see that is oppressed by spirit, and it's really not anything you can talk about, but it's upsetting, causing anguish of spirit. I would say it's the same way. Take it to the Lord. Pour out your situation. Pour out that situation before the Lord. Because why? We know he did that for the Syrophoenician woman. She's got a daughter here that's being oppressed by a spirit, and it says she came before him. She's crying out. For help, because she realizes that is the only help for her daughter. She's desperate, and she's in so much anguish and desperate and sees that the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to her problem. He can't get rid of her. It doesn't matter what he says. She's going to stay right there. But God remembered her, didn't he? That's what he did for Hannah. He remembered that woman and delivered her daughter. What about, we've got other situation in here, and I could relate to this. Not now, but in the past, you're a young person. You want a mate. And it just seems like that's a barren trail. There's nobody on my trail, mate-wise. And that could be very upsetting. That's another one of those. You're not going to go around talking about, man, I've been upset. been believing for a husband for 20 years. I ha you're not going to talk about that. 
But that can be something very troubling and upsetting. And that's where, take it before the Lord. He's not going to ignore that. Pour out your complaint. But I would also say, wait for God to give you the assurance that he has heard your prayer when you do that. I'm not saying cry for crying's sake. But take it to the Lord and trust that he will remember you because that's what happened to Hannah. Look what happened here in verses 17 to 20. She's brought it before the Lord. Says she's poured it out. Don't count me as a daughter of Belial. Verse 17, then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And what does it say at the end of verse 19? The Lord remembered her. And so when the Lord gave Eli that word, go in peace, the God of Israel grant thy petition, something happened to Hannah because she knew in her heart God had heard her prayer. How do we know that? What does it say she did in verse 18? It says she went her way after receiving that word and did what? She ate. She was so upset she couldn't eat back in 7 and 8. Very upset. Don't have any appetite. But she got that word from the Lord, and he answered that word through Eli the priest. And all of a sudden, it says she's eating, and her countenance had changed. So nothing changed outwardly, but something changed in her heart. And that's really all that matters. And get right down to it, because she had that joy now. Her countenance was changed. I'm sure she's smiling at no matter what Panini's throwing her way. It's just bouncing off her like rubber arrows. Not hurting me now, honey, because I got a baby, and you're going to see it. I just got a word from the Lord. That's what she said. <laughs> Something changed in her heart. She had a knowing, like Bevington. A lot of people in here have read Bevington. If you haven't read Bevington, you need to get a copy of it. But that's what happens. There's just times you get that knowing. So I've told this story before, but you're going to have to listen to it again because it fits right in here. But Lisa and I had claimed a baby, had no baby, and time went on, and it hadn't happened yet. And so one night she was up pouring out her complaint to Brother Hamilton. And Brother Hamilton motioned me forward and said, we're going to pray, the three of us. And so we're going to pray for God to bless you all with a baby. And the three of us stood in the front there and held hands. And Brother Hamilton prayed that God would bless us with a child. And all I can say is it was one of those moments for me I knew it happened. Amen. I wasn't wondering. Any, I mean, it was just like what we're reading here. That word, I knew it had happened then. Now, I didn't have Lisa take a pregnancy test the next day, but Thomas was born nine months later. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. So what I'm saying in saying all of that is part of our experience that we need to understand to understand how faith works is you have to know that when you ask him for something, yeah, we believe when we pray that we have received. Sometimes there's intercession, spiritual warfare, but there comes to where you should have a knowing and you realize it's done. I don't need to intercede anymore about this. I don't need to fast. It's over. It's like with Bevington. He would always say, tis done. That promise has come. It's a knowing the battle's over. Pass the potatoes, so to speak, right? But I think what happens a lot of times is that God wants us to be aggressive in our faith and intercession, and we're just letting circumstances linger. 
So faith works in different ways. There's times to pray and let it go, and there's other times to pray, and there's some spiritual warfare involved. There's other times you pray, and it's a time to endure. Another time you pray, and your faith says, I've got to act in a certain way now. It's time to do a bold action. Faith's just not pray and forget it, and that's it. Because sometimes I think there is intercession that's involved. There is fasting that's involved for an answer, depending. We have all of that in the Bible. And so here's how God works. Samuel was going to be a prophet raised up to deliver Israel, start the school of the prophets, anoint Saul and David as kings. But listen, none of that would have happened if Hannah hadn't prayed and poured out her heart before the Lord. When Rebekah was barren, Isaac had said he had to entreat the Lord. And that is when her womb was opened and not before. No Jacob would have come forth. Read Genesis 25. And when Elizabeth was barren, getting into the New Testament, the angel appeared to Zacharias. And here's what the angel said. Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. He didn't say... God's just going to give you a baby. But John the Baptist had to come, didn't he? He did. But the angel said, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and you shall call his name John, and you shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. And Jesus said there wasn't a greater prophet born to a woman than John the Baptist. But... He was brought into this world as a result of what? His father's prayer for a barren wife. So God is sovereign, but he works through our prayers. So many of our situations don't change. Problems linger. Our children show no spiritual interest because we don't pray for them. Because it still says you have not because you asked not. And I say this should challenge our faith. It's a simple scripture, Luke 11. There's nothing complicated about this. Jesus says, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. And he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. That's a challenge, isn't it? He doesn't say sometimes. He says everyone. And that should be all of us. So God's challenging us today through what we're hearing in 1 Samuel 1 to take that seemingly insurmountable situation in your life, that problem that is so overwhelming, you don't know what to do with it, that trial that is tempting you to just give up. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Isn't that what Hannah did? Isn't that what we're reading here? Pour out your heart. So no one understands. No one can help you. No one seems to care. That is the time to bear your heart to the Lord. He cares and he hears. Bear your soul to him. Remind him of the situation and what he's promised you and what you're expecting him to do for you. What the circumstances look like and how the enemy's provoking you. Oh, we have that many times. This is what the enemy's saying, Lord. They put that before the Lord. They're saying this, that you won't come through and help us. <laughs> Take that to the Lord and see if that won't bring him speedily to your aid.
your side. And then after you do that, like I said last, we need to look for the assurance that our petition's answered. He'll give you a knowing that all is well. Woman's got a dead child. Is everything okay? Oh, all is well. God has heard my cry. So what about this song we sing? What a friend we have in Jesus. I don't know about this part, but all our sins and griefs to bear. It's really pains and sicknesses. But for the song's sake, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It's a great song, isn't it? If I could sing a little better, I'd sing it right now. But listen, let's just say God was faithful to Hannah, wasn't he? He was. And you know what Hannah's name means? Grace. And God showed her favor. It didn't look like it. Put her in a bad situation. Sent somebody her way to cause her a lot of grief, but God showed her favor. And you know what? I think Hannah wasn't as much concerned about having a baby as she was about concern having God's favor and knowing it. Because what did she do? That boy she asked for, that she longed so much for, she had him for a short period of time, and she says, I'm giving him back to you, Lord, because you're really what I want. You're really my portion. Yeah. And that's the way it should be, right? Should our mind and our hearts be fixed on the gifts and not the giver first and foremost? And God blessed her as a result, right? Three sons and two daughters she had. He blessed her just like he did Job. And so he'll pour out the same grace on you and I, won't he, if we cry to him in faith as Hannah did. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this Old Testament story, a true story of Hannah and the impossible situation you placed her in. But out of that impossible situation, Lord, you brought the birth of a great prophet. And Lord, you've brought us into many impossible situations in our lives, Lord, and, and though we may not have a prophet come out of our household, Lord, we do know that you'll still hear our cries of distress and you'll be with us and you'll hear and answer our prayer and grant us deliverance. And we just thank you that you're that kind of God and you show us that you're that kind of God through these illustrations in your Bible. And we just thank you for that and for the hope and encouragement you give us that we can take everything to you in prayer and that you do care about us. And in all of our affliction, it says you are afflicted. And we just thank you for having mercy on us in that way, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.